This podcast number 835 with Dave Crenshaw is brought to you by Dr. Nisi Moore. Please listen to podcast number 828 as Dr. Nisi and I talk about her program entitled Creating Your Power Proclamation to Step Into the Destiny of Your Dreams. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Nisi Moore, the founder of the Life Coaching Institute. She has spent her life helping individuals and couples understand that they were created for more. Dr. Nisi recommends that we set our reticular activating system to seek for more. And one way of doing that, she recommends, is the power of affirmation, or as she refers to it, the power proclamation statements. If you want more information about Dr. Nisi, please visit her website at www.drneesie.com where you can learn more about her coaching program for individuals and her life coaching institute where you can sign up to become a certified coach. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Dave Crenshaw as we talk about his new book, The Myth of Multitasking. How doing it all gets nothing done. Enjoy listening and thanks for listening to our podcast. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have a gentleman joining me from Salt Lake City, Utah. His name is Dave Crenshaw. And Dave is probably one of the leading experts. He was referred to me by Dory Clark. Uh, a good friend who refers me quite a few people to be on the show. And Dave, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Greg. Glad and, to be here. And we're happy to have you on uh, speaking with our listeners from around the world. And if you have any interest at all, look, multitasking has been a topic which has been talked about. I remember in the days when I used to go to the CES show uh, in Las Vegas and Microsoft had big articles about multitasking and, you know, the reality is we all multitask. We just don't do it very well. And Dave's here to tell us today um, that really his new book, which is the second edition book, he has a prior book. You can go up to Amazon. We'll put links in our blog to those, uh, is The Myth of Multitasking, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. Um, and I totally understand that, although there are times, Dave, I get caught. And I'm hoping this morning that what you can do is create awareness for our listeners about when we're caught in those cycles of this multitasking, you know, you know, got our text, we got our cell phone, we got our computer, we got our Zoom, we got all this stuff coming at us because we live in a really always-on society. So I think the best way for our listeners to know you is to really kind of, I'm starting this now, this new year, because I used to always read bios. And I got to a point after 800 of reading bios, it's like, I don't need to read a bio. Let these people learn from the, from the authors themselves. And one of the things is about defining moments. Um, what were the defining moments that drove you to kind of do this work? Um, for somebody to dedicate their life to helping people learn to live a more balanced, more focused lifestyle, Something must have been going on in your life was just the opposite of that um, that got you to think about this. Yeah. So there are really two things. One was the fact that I was doing business coaching and I started doing it. I'm, I'm 46 now. I started doing it uh, like 23 years ago. Uh, so I hadn't even graduated from college and I was working with entrepreneurs because <laughs> I was young and arrogant enough to think I could do that. And I saw a repeated pattern, which was they would, we'd talk about something they do in their business and they'd go, okay, I'm going to do that. And I'd come back in two weeks and they'd say, 
I didn't do that. And it ha- was happening over and over. And I thought, okay, this is horrible. This is happening. And then around the same time, uh, I, I heard two words that, that changed my life. And they changed a lot of people's lives, which are, I'm pregnant. And when my wife said that to me, I thought, my gosh, I need to change. I need to start being more focused. And so I went out and, and saw, sought out the help of a psychologist who gave me not one, but two tests. And at the end of those tests, he said, has anyone ever talked to you about ADHD? I said, I don't think that's me. And he said, no, you are, and this is word for word, you are freaking off the charts ADHD. If there were a fifth standard deviation, you'd be in it. And um, so that moment helped me realize that the challenge that I was experiencing was focus. And when you combine those two experiences of me working with entrepreneurs, small business owners, helping them be successful, and the fact that I had an issue with, with focus, I, I leaned on my training, which is systems. And I started looking for systems that would help me be more focused as an individual. And then once I, I created an adapted version of those, I started teaching it to others. And um, that's sort of where things took off. That, the, the myth of multitasking, the book, is based on uh, years of stories working with executives, working with business owners, helping them be more focused. Well, and I have been an entrepreneur all my life, and this show is just kind of an offshoot of something that started 14 years ago, and I don't even kind of know how I got here, you know, 300 or 800 and something podcasts later. Um, it, 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 it sprung out of, honestly, Dave, my son at the time, uh, I can't remember how old he was. He was very young. And he said, Dad, you know, you go to those million-dollar roundtable meetings every year. You're a top life insurance salesman. And I was. And I got out of it completely. But the point is, is that I started interviewing people that were in the personal growth business because it's all about staying positive. And the way I looked at it is I was always ADHD. I mean, I was diagnosed like you. I was a perfect example. And a lot of CEOs listening to this are, they're very creative. So their minds are looking to link, look around corners. They're looking for solutions. Uh, They're always on. And, you know, you start the book off. I love it because it's a green garb is the company. Uh, There's the, that you call Helen, the queen of mother of multitasking. Phil is the consultant and Sally is her assistant. And, you know, it's a great story about these characters. And I'm going to let my listeners know having a parable kind of like this, I'm going to call it a parable, is a great way to learn. Uh, It's also something very simple to read. This book is not challenging to read, but what gets exposed during the process, the story, and always telling a story is better, is Oh, look at the faux pas here. Look at the faux pas there. Look at the thing I can learn. And then you proceed to utilize these characters to make your point about the notion that multitasking is the worst lie. Uh, Tell us a bit about the story and the worst lie. Yeah, well, the story itself is a mashup of actual experiences that I I had with real individuals. So when you read this, uh, and, and kind of the classical turn is a business fable for it. When yeah. you read this this fable, you're you're actually reading the stories of you know five, ten, fifteen different people that I consulted one on one. And so it's it's pretty obvious that Phil is sort of a stand-in for me in that situation, and Helen and her assistant is a stand-in for a lot of different uh, business leaders that I work with. 
And the, the story exposes the, the problem the, that multitasking presents, which is, first of all, the word itself is inaccurate. It's confusing. You know, you mentioned how you went to CES and Microsoft first started talking about multitasking. And of course, they're talking about computer multitasking. The funny thing is this word that we borrowed from computers already had a problem with it, which is computers don't even really multitask. If you look up the definition, it says it's a computer's apparent ability to do multiple things at the same time. What it's really doing is switch tasking. It's switching rapidly back and forth between all those ones and zeros. It just does it so fast that it's giving you the illusion that it's doing it all at the same time. But but the proof that it isn't is pretty obvious, which is when you start opening 10, 12, 50 different browser windows, all of a sudden everything starts to slow down. You start to see things, you know, it gets hotter. It, it doesn't work as well. Well, as human beings, we're far more limited in terms of our ability to focus on multiple things at the same time. So when you try to do multiple attention requiring tasks, like listening to this podcast uh, while you're trying to do email, you're not doing them both at the same time. What you're doing is just switching rapidly back and forth. And when you do that, you pay a lot of costs. So the point of the book is to start making people aware that when they think they're doing multiple things at the same time, what they're really doing is switch tasking. And whenever you switch task, you're paying uh, a lot of switching cost. It is expensive. It's expensive in relationships. It's expensive uh, from a productivity standpoint. You You cite studies in the book. Uh, actually, each chapter starts with a new stat uh, about, you know, how much we're losing by doing what we're doing. And this leads me to this next question. You state in the book that you use a great example that it's bad enough losing efficiency and effectiveness uh, when we try to multitask, just like you just said. But when multitasking and switch tasking involves another person, the costs are deeper. Um, what are the emotional and psychological costs when this behavior affects relationships. And I'm going to say in an organization, but I also want to switch gears. I want you to answer two sides to this. You know, look, I get interrupted a lot too, even just working from home. My wife walks in the door, you know, there's, there's all these things that happen. And I know I haven't set particular times aside, even though, though I use time blocking, I'm a kind of a time blocking person. And that affects relationships because people get pissed off, right, um, when they don't get your attention. So I want you to kind of address that because I don't think the people that are doing it actually have any realization that they're doing it because the other person just walks away. They don't know they're walking away mad or angry. They just know they're walking away. Yeah. What? <laughs> So the efficiency costs are things take longer, you make more mistakes, and you increase your stress levels. But the moment we introduce another human into this equation and you start multitasking on them, you are damaging the relationship. In fact, one thing, you mentioned Million Dollar Roundtable. I actually just did a a virtual event with them uh, recently. And when I speak to audiences, one thing that I do is I have them do an activity. And you can do this. If you're listening to this, you can do it as a family. You can do it in a group training. And what you do is um, you, you pair up and you have person A talk to person B. So person A tells person B something they're excited about for 30 seconds, their favorite sports team, a hobby they like to do, something that their kids do that they're proud of. So they just talk. The other person listens respectfully, gives their full attention. Then what we do is we switch roles. And now person B talks to person A about something they're passionate about. 
But person A, well, they listen to them, but they're giving partial attention, right? They're going, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, that's great, right? They're doing that. And whenever I do this with groups, I, I ask the person who was just speaking, how, or the person who was just, yeah, speaking, how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel to be speaking while someone else was giving you partial attention? And the one word that I hear without fail is unimportant. Now imagine that you, you start your day, you wake up, you go downstairs, you see a loved one and you say, hi, honey, you're unimportant. What are you going to do today? <laughs> or someone calls their business and you say, thank you for calling XYZ Financial Services where you're unimportant. How can I help you? We would never, ever do that. But pretty much that's exactly what we do when we switch tasks on, on human beings. So it's unconsciously, absolutely- though, pardon me for interrupting, but I think it's unconscious. Although, look, there's an element in there that has to uh, click for awareness. Uh, the only way, as you know, I've been doing personal growth work for a long time to change this habit or pattern or behavior uh, from a psychological standpoint is to identify the pattern and and as Tony Robbins says in NLP, you know, he used to always go, <clears throat> you know, or he'd do something like, you know, he'd move or he'd take a rubber band and slam it on his wrist. But the point was, is that you were breaking the pattern. How do you recommend that these CEOs, individuals break these patterns? Because these ubiquitous devices, as uh, David Allen says, that are all over the, we've got devices everywhere that are binging and tringing and notifying us and whatever. They're distracting as hell, but people aren't turning off those notifications because they think that's more important than the person that walks through the door. Well, you highlight you highlight a big issue, which is there since the book came out in 2008 and even a little before that, there have been lots and lots of studies that people have heard that multitasking is ineffective, that it isn't productive, and yet we're doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I don't view myself as, as the researcher. I view myself as the evangelist. I view myself as the person whose job it is to help people modify their behavior. So the first, and you mentioned it, is becoming aware of the pattern. And I like to use experiential uh, things to help people see that, like the multitasking exercise that's in the book. So first, they have to become aware of it. And then it becomes a matter of just implementing small strategies to reduce switches. It's, you can't get rid of all the switches in your day, but you can implement little things that make it easier. I'm personally not a fan of, uh, I don't know, what's the word, like self-flagellation or punishment for not doing what you should be doing. What I'm more in favor of is naturally changing the systems that surround you so that it's easy to, to do that. For example, turning off those notifications having a scheduled time in your day where you have a digital sanctuary, having a physical place in your life where when I step into this, I set the phone outside of it. So these little strategies really start to add up and save a lot of time and reduce a lot of stress. Yeah, it's the book is loaded with great advice. And I love this part in the book because you say when, right? So you use the word when, and then you highlight the word when, and then you you have the word win again. And the consultant, Phil, you asked Helen, the founder of Green Garb, uh, a really important question about when. And she's like, what do you mean win? You know, what are we talking about? And he says to Helen that the employees have learned that once they've grabbed your attention, they shouldn't let it go because she's always switch tasking. 
Um, and this is so true in so many companies. It's not just Helen. And they're afraid. I thought that was interesting. They're afraid. Um, what are the two simple ways to create clear wins for the employees? You state them in the book, and I think it's important for our listeners to know. Yeah, it's it, so much of it has to do with managing expectations and creating clear communication. And, and one of the things, too, is I, I talk about moving from the culture of now to the culture of when. Most businesses, most anyone right now is addicted to the culture of now, which means when I have a question, I want it answered now. And if you don't answer the text message I sent you, then I give you a phone call. And if you don't answer the phone call, then I send you an email. And we just repeat that cycle, which just chops our day to pieces. So moving to the to when is saying, when are we going to have a conversation? Let's schedule that in our day. Let's both commit to that. And I'm not going to do anything else during that time. I'm going to give you 100% of my attention. Uh, and it's why one of the reasons why I advocate rather than having an open door policy, you have a closed door open calendar policy. And I think that even applies now when so many more people are working from home. We can say, look, rather than us just peppering each other with, with random questions throughout the day, Let's have a quick time where we get together uh, in chat or we get together in a phone call and we ask each other those quick questions. When you do that, you actually get done a whole lot more in a shorter amount of time. So those are just a couple of ways that you can start implementing when into your day. Yeah, don't you, I'm going to go to this next question, but it's the, it's the part on the truth and it comes down to time account accountability, but don't you find that you know, look, we're all only have 168 hours, as you point out in the book, right? Um, it's how we choose to spend it in alignment with our purpose and our values. And I think many of the times uh, my clients don't know their purpose or their value uh, or their values. And so you have to start from ground zero to make certain that's the thing they're focused on each day, including whether it's a gratitude journal or it's journaling or it's meditation in the morning or whatever it is to get them centered, right? To get them centered so they can go manage that day. So in this chapter, the truth, Phil asked Helen to print the exercise that he emailed her, right? And the email was a sheet be filled in almost to me, it looked like kind of like a time blocking thing to a certain degree, but it's actually more. And for our listeners, we're going to give you a link to some of these sheets that you can get from Dave's website too. So just so you know. So how is important is it for listeners to look at how they spend their days and activities in them, considering what I just said, we all have 168 hours a week, okay? Um, how we spend it and how we utilize that time. And I re I'm going to quote another author, Tom Rath. You probably know Tom from the Gallup poll studies. Um, and he, a lot of people don't know much about him, but he's had cancer since he's been a young kid, many surgeries. He's in his 40s now, um, kind of left to die, but he's still going, right? And he said, what is your contribution to the world? What contribution do you want to make? And if we all have 168 hours a week, we can all make a contribution. What would you tell people about this accountability and this, how we're spending this time in our activities? 
Yeah, it's a really simple exercise that anyone can do. And it's something that I've done with clients one-on-one lots of times. And it's so eye-opening. All you do is you just start doing rough estimates. You don't have to track every single minute. I know some people advocate that. I think it's excessive. I don't, and sometimes not even accurate. So instead, what I do is I say, let's just look at 168 hours in your week. Where is this time going? How much time do you spend sleeping? How much time do you spend working? How much time do you spend with family? All these different things. And we just start doing rough estimates. I just ask them to say, how many hours? And they throw the hour and I write it down. And they say, how many of this? And they write it down. And at the end, I add it all up. And most people are going to have a terribly inaccurate count. Like the example that I gave in the book, which comes from real life. 190. 190. 190 (laughs) hours of activity in a 168 hour week. And that, that first realization helps people go, wait a minute. I'm not really doing what I think I'm doing during this time. And in the example in the book, she thought that she was spending time with her family in the evenings, but what she was really doing was stock research while in the presence of her family. And those are two very different things. Yes. And, and it, it's, an, it's an invitation to start becoming more conscious about the choices that we're making with our time. So a question that wasn't on the questions there seems to be by the tech companies, they've created a tremendous amount of sensuality in all of these applications that are supposed to make our lives better. And when I say sensuality, I mean that uh, nicely, but they've made it sexy. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Monday.com or Todoist or Rike or or Asana, or whatever it might be to organize our tasks, right? Our tasks associated with our lives, which are really running our days. Um, What kind of comments do you have for the people out there listening that many of them, most of my listeners are going to probably be using some technology tool, and yet there's this fine line between that technology tool and remaining what I would call human and what almost at times seems like a unhuman world. Yeah. The, the phrase I like to use is that technology is not the problem. It's our improper use of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, I know a lot of people have, but if you haven't yet, I, I highly recommend the documentary, The Social Dilemma I've on seen Netflix. Yeah, That really highlights the problem uh, and illustrates why we become so addicted to these things. And yes, we have these things that are enticing and stimulating and, and you use the word sensual, all these different things, but we're still in control. We're still in the driver's seat. And we can make strategic choices in advance that, that make sure that we keep things in check. For example, rather than saying, I'm going to just dip into Facebook multiple times a day, I am going to have a scheduled time in my day for Facebook. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a half an hour, which is a lot of time, honestly, to spend on a social platform in one right. sitting, you say it's a half an hour. That is far more productive than jumping in and out 10 times per day because you're paying switching costs every time you do that. Plus, if you do it that way, you're conditioning your brain that it should just jump wherever a random thought pops in its head. Mm-hmm. We want to start communicating to our brains and we can do it. We want to start communicating to it that there's a time for everything. 
Mm-hmm. And here is the time to focus on work. And here's the time to take a break. You know, I have another book called The Power of Having Fun. And I advocate taking a break around every 90 minutes to do 10 minutes to 20 minutes of something that is just meaningless. That's just enjoyable fun. Watch a YouTube video, play a game, go for a walk, whatever it is. And when we do that, we're actually more productive than if we try to force ourselves to just plow ahead for hours at a time because we're giving that relief valve to our brain. I like what you said, and, and I'll add to that. I think that how you'll be measured in the end, your finitude. You know, I lost two brothers this year. Mm. Um, and it gets you thinking about our own life cycle. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the adult years or younger years. And it's the relationships you build. Um, The most important thing that you're going to do on this planet and that you're going to have are with the people that are around you and the people you influence and how you do that and what kind of impact you can make. And I think far too little time is spent on that versus us spending all this time on all these various little tasks that have to be completed because we have programmed ourselves that that's what's supposed to happen in chapter 14 you have some steps to give the reader to stop the madness of what i call switch tasking um i'd like you to share those steps because you go about this in a logical sequential kind of mannerism through the book and i think that's important and then i yesterday i printed off your sheets from results and you have additional systems and processes as well so what are those steps that you can give our listeners? Okay, so I'm, I'm actually pulling my, up my book right here <laughs> to make sure I'm, I'm in the same chapter with you. Yep, so, chapter 14. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, I, so part of it is, it is it's, it's sort of the evolution of saying, understanding where you're at, understanding what you're paying in terms of switch tasking, and then starting to implement some of these strategies that I've been talking about. For instance, uh, you know, creating a new time budget. So we do that, that exercise of accounting for your 168 hours. And whatever it is, no matter how horrible that is, that's great. That's the starting point. In fact, sometimes when I, when I uh, consult a client, I like it to look terrible. <laughs> because if, it, if they're not doing well, then that means we got a big opportunity to improve. And then you say, all right, that's how you used to be spending that 168 hours. Now let's create a schedule. How much of that time do you want to devote to work? How much of that time do you want to devote to your passions? How much of that time do you want to devote to your family? And then we create that that number. Uh, So let's say that I say, after doing this, I want to spend 10 hours a week with the people that I love. So then I put into my schedule... Where are those 10 hours going to happen? Are they six hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday? Or is it a couple of hours each day? However you map that out, you, you now start to regain control because you're the one creating uh, the schedule. Uh, so that's, a, you know, that's one starting point. Uh, another one is you know, creating expectations. We kind of talked about this, but creating expectations with the people you work with. When are you going to be available? What are your store hours, so to speak? And when should they not interrupt you? I've sometimes seen people think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put up a do not disturb thing on my door or on my uh, message notification. It's not enough. You also Mm -hmm. have to say, when am I going to be available? That will help relieve the stress that others feel because they can't reach you. Well, you know, rewards are an interesting thing when you become accountable. Um, The reward that you give yourself 
whether it's a walk in the park or a walk on the beach or going up to go skiing one day or riding your bike or whatever it is. But the intrinsic reward from the feeling you get, I think it's about the emotion, the attachment of emotion. Because no matter how much we talk about flow, Stephen Kotler has been on this show, I can't countless times, going to be on again for the book, uh, The Art of Impossible. Um, And, you know, his whole thing is the flow genome project. And if you don't block time and you're creative, you're going to have a very difficult time if you have a passion project you want to work on ever getting there, ever getting it done. It's like you writing all these books. You didn't write these books with being distracted. You had to have some silent, solitude time by yourself to sit down and write books. And I think many of the projects that people want to take on these days to get that intrinsic reward are these deeper, longer-term kind of projects. And you speak about two systems in the book, the business system and the personal system. And I want you to kind of comment about that and how to integrate them into solving massive problems in our lives. Yeah. So a a business system, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are familiar with. Here's the process and the way in which we interact with a customer. When we onboard someone new into our business, step one, step two, step three, step four, we have a process, right? Your personal systems are how you perform. When do I check email? How do I check email? What, what email program do I use? What calendar do I use? When do I use it? All of these different processes, we want to get clear and start defining it for ourselves. And what I found is that these two things, the business systems and the personal systems are inseparably connected. Meaning if, if you have poor business systems, but you're really organized as an individual, eventually you're going to start to fall apart <laughs> because the business is set up to, to, to fight your organization and vice versa. We could have the best business systems in the world, the best processes to Amazon level kind of stuff. And yet we hire people who are personally disorganized and chaotic. They're going to start to erode those wonderful systems that we created. So we have to consider both sides of the equation. And, and this is a mistake that I see a lot of small businesses make in particular is that they are not, they're not conscious about helping their individuals get organized and be in control when, in fact, that's exactly what they need in order to do a good job for the business. Well, they certainly can hire you or they can go to your website and then get these worksheets. That would be a good start. They would all, can also go to Amazon because we're going to put a link to your book. Uh, and get this book. It's an easy to read book. It is an opportunity to kind of, as he said, look at what it is you're now doing and what is the, um, I don't want to call it imagined future, but what's your ideal scene? What's the ideal scene? If you had the on purpose day and it was just running perfect, what would every one of those days kind of look like? You know, as you get to be my my age or anybody, you start to realize the number of days you might have left are a lot less. And the impact that you want to make is so much more important. And I, I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but if you were to look at your life and say, hey, you know, I could live to be 89 years old or 85 years old or whatever, how much time do you really have left? <clears throat> and really what you're talking about is the quality of the time that we've got left and how we spend that time, and how that time, if it's more focused, can bring us more intrinsic reward, um, that more emotional connection. So last question here, 
And I asked this a little bit before, but I'm going to rephrase it in a little different way. You know, as a society, we've created more applications to keep track of um, stuff, shit, than probably any place in the world. In the United States, is you know, we're the Silicon Valley is the pump of pump it out area to do projects, whatever it is, track these things. We said that. What are your feelings about the tools? And are there any that you would recommend or is there one in particular you'd recommend? I know maybe you're going to veer away from that, but what is it that Dave Crenshaw uses? Yeah, I, I am going to veer away from that. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm a, a geek. I want you to understand I am a techno nerd. I just got like a gaming level PC for myself. I mean, I, I love all the gadgets, everything cutting edge, love it. And so with that preface, I'm going to tell you, tell you that the most important tool that I have, that I use, and I recommend is the lowly calendar. Oh. The Google calendar is where it's at or yeah. Outlook or whatever calendar you prefer using. And here's why. The calendar is a budget for time. It allows you to say, here's what I'm going to do with myself. And then it, it allows you to make conscious choices in advance as to when you're going to do things. The biggest problem with the calendar, and some people hear this and like, well, I've got a calendar, I'm using it. In my experience, most people either aren't using it uh, completely, so they're not uh, making conscious choices about their time, or they're using it improperly. For example, double scheduling themselves or scheduling appointments that are back to back to back to back in their day, which is not realistic. When you use the calendar, you've got to say, what is real? What can I actually do with my time? And, and make sure that you're making choices that are grounded in what you're truly capable of as a human being. And that means that that leads to another principle. If you're using the calendar properly, it's going to teach you the power of saying no. No is probably the most powerful word in your vocabulary when it comes to your productivity. And the most successful people that I've met say it politely all the time. And I would add to that, because I use a calendar quite effectively, giving yourself permission to block time to do things with your family or that are enjoyable to you. It's yes. different to say, you know, there's my business calendar. I've got this person calling me or another Zoom call or this or that or whatever. It's another thing to say, hey, at one o'clock today, I'm going to go ride my bike for two hours and I'm going to enjoy myself or I'm going to go walk on the beach or I'm going to do whatever. Busy executives, from my experience, I've found, if you look at their calendar, their calendar is full, but it's not filled with any of that. They didn't use Google Calendar to fill it with that or they didn't tell their assistant, you know, let's this time to do this and that and the other thing. So I think you bring a very important element to this, which is balance. You know, the it's very easy to get pretty imbalanced in the world in which we're in because of all the tantalizing things we can use in apps and tools and toys and all this other kind of stuff. But spending time with yourself, contemplating what it is the life you want to live, living it on purpose is the most important thing. And I would highly recommend to our listeners that you get this book so that you can live your life more on purpose and you can find the time 
that you can actually put in there to give yourself permission to put the time in that time blocking calendar to do the things you really want to do. Dave, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. Uh, Any last words for the listeners? Uh, Thanks, Greg. I I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, the last word is simply that pay attention to people. Uh, It is, you know, another word that I hear when I do that exercise where someone's not paying attention is normal. That it's normal for someone else to not give them the full attention. And that's both sad, but it's an opportunity. In a world where everyone is addicted to the myth of multitasking and their heads down in their phone when they could be communicating heads up with each other, if you're the person who sets it aside and says, I have nothing more important to do than talk to you right now, you build relationships and, and you stand out in a world that's addicted to the myth of multitasking. Well, thanks for being on. Everybody uh, go to, and you'll see it in our blog. Uh, it'll be everywhere, www.davecrenshaw.com. That's D-A-V-E-C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W.com. There you'll see Dave's blog. You'll see information about his books. He's got one that you can download called Results for Free. Go to Amazon and get a copy of his book. Um, Or are you offering it off your website too? Or just uh, Amazon. I like to send everyone to Amazon. Okay, yeah, just makes it. Easy. They do. They do yeah. make it. Uh, keep doing that. Yeah, you know, in between when I muted you, an Amazon package came and my dog was barking at the door. <laughs> so that's tells you. So that's how good they are because I only ordered it yesterday. So it yeah. just shows you how good they are at logistics. No one can beat. Nobody can beat them. But a pleasure having you on. This is a great topic for the new year. Great thing for people to start off their new year with. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, Greg.